there's a new Grinch movie out. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, this is after he has stolen Christmas and everything and tried to ruin everybody's Christmas. She comes up to the mountain to get him and tell him to invite him to Christmas dinner. And he says, why have you, why are you doing this? You know, why are you being so nice to me? And she says, you've been alone long enough. Now that'll make me cry right now. I'm just talking about it. This is what happens when you bring a seven into the Enneabuzz playing this kind of music. Let's go. It becomes like a house party. That's what it is. Can you, ima- <laughs> can you imagine if we had a room full of sevens? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we would ever even seriously talk. <laughs> We're just hey, dancing, right? We'll yeah. keep them grounded. We'll keep them grounded, right, Izzy? <laughs> yeah. Here's, uh, here's Stephanie's uh, favorite part of this song. So let's just stop and listen. Ooh. Yeah. Feeling it. Love hey, it. everybody. This is Israel Balderas. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Enya Buzz. I'm with Dr. Stephanie Bennett. How are you? I'm doing great, Is. How you doing? Can you believe it? Already our second podcast. Our second podcast. This is exciting stuff. Exciting times. And we are now on Apple. iTunes, by the way. That's big. That's that is big. big and so to celebrate that, we had to bring the kind of guests that could celebrate that, right. that sort of achievement. That with, with the kind of gravitas that... That wow. he brings. Gravitas. <laughs> Keith Case, everybody. I'm excited to be here, guys. Excited. Keith Case is not just, he's not only a guest of uh, the Enya Buzz, but he is a very, very close friend to both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll explain that in just a few uh, minutes. But uh, Keith Case, uh, he is a pastor in West Palm Beach. You pastor a church called Providencia. You also are a counselor. You are a father of five kids, amazing kids. Beautiful children. Uh, you, you love to be a connector here mm-hmm. in the South Florida area. And um, you love, love, love to hear people's stories. And that's one reason why we wanted to bring you on. So you could talk about how do people's stories and the Enneagram come together. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is so important. It's such an important piece um, for the Ennea buzz to cover because so many people, I mean, as much as there is this buzz about the Enneagram, uh, many times people just um, kind of don't listen. They think, oh, the Enneagram is just another uh, like Myers-Briggs or, or, or like another personality typing system. And frankly, that's what I thought a couple of years ago before I met you. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I don't care about the Enneagram. You know, no, I don't. Who cares about that? But a young man, a former student who has become a very dear friend to me, uh, sat with me at dinner one night and was all excited about this place, Providencia, and this man who was this wonderful pastor named Keith Case. And as I sat and listened, I was really enthralled and really excited to listen. But then he said, and I learned that I'm an Enneagram One and that I am growing because, and he started talking about the Enneagram. I said, my friend, the Enneagram? Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? He said, no. And his enthusiasm and the res- his credibility, the respect I have for him, really 
kind of foisted me into a journey to understand it a little bit better. Um, and I got to know you and, um, thought it was really cool that, um, a church was like talking about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So how did you get involved, um, Keith with the, with this Enneagram? How did you find it to be a worthy resource? Um, uh, Izzy said something about stories and how stories are so important to you. Yeah. I guess that fit together. Yeah. When it was funny, when I was in, uh, probably high school, one of my friends, his mom was, spiritual mentor to mine and she's the one who first talked to me about the Enneagram and I thought it was like a pentagram and I was like whoa what is this? this is really weird bizarre and she had also introduced me to a lot of like contemplative work you know desert mother fathers and um, that kind of stuff but the Enneagram was just a little too far of a stretch for me I was like I don't think so and then um, I'm not sure if it was through uh, some of Chuck DeGroat's work or through uh, maybe Scott Hansel, but I definitely know uh, he's a local uh, elder at our church and also the CEO of Community Partners. But and who's Chuck? Uh, who's Chuck, Chuck DeGroat is a author and a professor at Western um, Seminary up in Holland, Michigan, and a good friend. He uh, was one of my professors in college and then or in seminary, and then became a good friend of mine. But um, you know, both of them. Uh, talk to me about the Enneagram. I I think I ended up, actually, I know where I ended up doing it. It was at, at Eddie Nabhan's house. Uh, Eddie is a volunteer pastor at First Pres North Palm Beach. And one night we were over at their house and with the wives, and we did the free Enneagram test. We downloaded the app. Mm-hmm. And that was really the first time probably I dove into it and started trying to figure out what number I was and all that. And then probably more at the church level, um, a guy named Paul Vandergriff, who is here locally in West Palm and actually a filmmaker. That's what his, uh, you know, some of his past was making films. And then he got into the Enneagram and he would say it, it transformed his life. You know, it, it really helped him. And so we asked him, we, <clears throat> with our staff, we were trying to create a, if you will, uh, soil for them to grow in and for all of us to grow in and to really flourish in. And so we were trying to just add pieces of growing self-awareness, you know, have people get into counseling and things like that. But one of those pieces was bringing Paul in to talk to our staff first about the Enneagram. And it was so impactful that then we decided to do it at a church-wide level. And so, all you know, one of the, as you guys know, one of the biggest issues in workforce is, you know, people losing their jobs or leaving their jobs is it's all relational you know, mainly it's relational issues. And the Enneagram I saw as this incredible tool for how to navigate difficulties in relationships. It kind of objectified things just a little bit, uh, you know, with this number to kind of be able to talk about, you know, issues without it being as personal, if that makes sense. And let me just say this right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Providencia is known as the party church because mm. I think most people at church happen to be sevens, which is your number. Yes. And I remember this one time, you had a birthday party. Yes. And it was the <coughs> most amazing birthday party because um, you just, you love being around people. You love uh, being in this environment where people are having a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I saw what it looks like when a seven is in health. 
Yeah. And it was the most amazing thing that I saw yeah. uh, because we are friends and because yeah. I, I do know so many sevens. But that is why Providencia is known as the party church. Yeah. Not yeah. in a party like, yeah. hey, everybody likes to hang out late. Yeah. Meaning people just know like the richness of life. Yeah. yeah. People are free to be who they are. Yeah. When you begin to figure out who you are and come to grips with who you are and look at yourself in the mirror straight on and say, oh, yeah, like in my low moments or tough times, I go right there. Mm -hmm. When you start to see that and become aware and awake to who you are, you then have the tools to say, you know what? I want to be healthier. I want to walk in greater wholeness. That's my story. I can't mm -hmm. change my story, but how can I use that to to grow, to um to share, to be a part of a community. And I remember that party too, Izzy. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Ghost Lion was there, That's right? right? Yep. And Greg... Uh, Mazzola. Yeah, Greg yep. Mazzola was there spinning tunes. Mm -hmm. um, there was music and fun and laughter. And just like what I think of when I think of the word shalom, wholeness. Hmm. Coming health, alive. Beauty, yep. Yep. nourishment. And yep. it's just fun to see people more and more, all of us, more and more walk in that kind of freedom. Yeah, it's funny on our, if we have 10 people on our staff, I kind of lose track sometimes. Uh, I know that four of us are sevens on our staff. And so the poor, you know, eights and nines and twos. Sixes. They, yeah, sixes. They're just like, oh my God, there's so many of them. Um, but it's it's so funny too. I think the seven really, like the, the Enneagram and identifying with the seven um, was so helpful for me um, as I look back on my journey of dealing with my emotions mm -hmm. and kind of connecting with my emotions and just my my story in general from my childhood. Uh, my dad, he was, my dad loves having fun. It was all about adventure with my dad. It was, you know, kind of chasing the adventure. Lo I love that about my dad. You know, he really instilled that in me. But it, it was almost this living for the weekend, living for, you know, vacation type of thing. And then when I, when I started getting exposed to counseling or even, even how I became a Christian was at like a, a Christian camp. And part of the apologetic for me <laughs> that happened there was the fun. Mm. It was so fun. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think Christians could have fun. And so I had so much fun. And then when I started, uh, after I graduated from college and I started getting into this whole counseling gig, you know, exploring things with counseling, I the way I got involved with it, I would take students down to Puerto Rico and we would go down for a week and we would do this really intensive counseling work in the morning. And then the afternoon after lunch, we would take them out, you know, to the rainforest. We'd go dancing and, uh, you know, San Juan at night. We'd go cliff jumping. We'd take them to these bioluminescent bays. So it was like <laughs> deep, deep counseling. You know, we're going to talk about the worst pain of your life and then we're going to go have incredible fun. Yeah. And so I did that for like four years and that's how I survived counseling. You know, it was like, well, I'm going to go for, you know, a week out of the whole year and I'm going to talk about my stuff and then the rest of the year I'll be fine, you know? And it was kind of set up that way because the counseling was so intensive that it really mm -hmm. would have this kind of life-changing impact mm -hmm. that you would feel like, oh my gosh, I just did so much mm -hmm. and I can kind of like take a break now for the rest of the year. And then I got into this counseling program in seminary where essentially for two years, they held me in my pain mm. and I was kicking and screaming. So I, I was, I mean, it was 
very, very difficult. I would leave classes because the program I went to was very much about, hey, if you want to be a good counselor, we're not here to teach you theories. We're here to take you on a journey into your own story and into your own heart, which is going to involve some real pain. You know, this is going to hurt a little bit. And so we would leave classes and I would go out into the parking lot with my friends and we would just sit out there and just, you know, go off. We could, I mean, it was barely, we could barely take it. You know, we really had to kind of almost like prepare ourselves to re-enter back into the room. Mm. Um, I was just so, so pain avoidant. So it was interesting. I, I had some confusion even with the Enneagram of whether I was more associated with a four or a seven. And some of that I think was because of my processing and being held by such, you know, incredible people mm. um, in my pain that it, it had some very transformative, you know, mm. impacts on my life. Yeah. And so I, that's where this intersects with the stories and something that um, you started at Providencia called Story Group, yep. right? Yep. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how that works together with, um, um, I have to say, embracing your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a funny phrase, embracing your pain, because mostly we want to just reject our pain, all of us, whether you're a dominant seven personality mm-hmm. um, number or not. We mm-hmm. want to reject our pain, run away mm-hmm. from it. But embracing our pain... Uh, often takes coming clean with our story. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And I think I think for me, um, part of may, maybe this is part of being or identifying with a seven is if I if I taste really good food, I want everybody to know about it. If I have some experience that's like you know amazing, I want everybody to know about it. I want as many people to join me in that experience as possible. And part of that experience for me was counseling. Mm. And, um, Mm -hmm. when I was in that program, we read a book. Well, some people read the book. I I think I skimmed the first couple chapters, uh, called to be told by Dan Allender. And I I led a story group. I mean, I didn't really read the book, but I led the story group for the first time. And Mm -hmm. essentially it was people writing a two page story about their life. And we sat and listened. And what we practiced instead of fixing, which I had been trained in, in many ways as a Christian was, you know, and I felt pressure Somebody told me their story and there was pain involved. I had to provide a solution. You know, that was really how I felt like I was supposed to make my money as a pastor mm-hmm. was people were going to come to me because I could fix their problems. It was an incredible amount of pressure to live under. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there with these people and they would tell these really painful stories. And all we did was we just listened. And instead of fixing, we let ourselves even experience at some level the pain of mm-hmm. what they were, you know, talking about. And I never forget one of my uh, professors. You know, I was going to him talking about some struggles I was having in my marriage at the time, and uh, my wife was having to commute down, you know, really far away from our house, and you know, just issues at work and everything. And she would come home, and I would try to fix them. And he said, "Listen, man, next time she does that, just all I want you to say is these two words that." sucks. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's all I want. I just, just Keith, just do this experiment, experiment, see what happens. And so she came home, my wife came home, she starts talking and I, I just said, oh honey, that sucks. And she kept talking and then I said it again. <laughs> and, you know, I probably said it two or three times. And by the end of it, she looked at me and she just said, thank you. Uh, thank all because you, you said, 
you know, I because you listened. Yes. And your only response was Yeah. And you understood. It stinks. Yeah. 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 Well and that and understanding. Essentially, yeah. isn't it like that phrase means I understand and I agree. Yeah. Like that's bad. Horrible. I understand. Yep. It was a game changer. I was like, what? You know, like that's all I have to do. And I mean, because I was my brain was always working so hard when I would be interacting with people that I had to come up with a solution for them. And now it was just learning to be present with them. Mm. And, um, and you can know. you can you talk about what that means to be yes. present oh, yes. with yep. them? Yep. Because we both have been part of Story Group. Yep. And I can just tell you from experience, man, it was painful. But afterwards, yep. it literally felt like pounds and pounds of just junk yeah. mm-hmm. falls off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you have are people yeah. that are just there present with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. And when you're when you're accustomed to, just as you were accustomed to being the fix-it person, mm-hmm. the solutions guy mm-hmm. in the church, you know, we each have our own experiences too. I know for me, it, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm the listening gal. Mm-hmm. I feel this communication, mm-hmm. right? And communication, communication is the foundation of, I mean, listening is the foundation of all communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so story group for me was, it was really refreshing because um, I would always like to defer to others. No, you tell me your story. No, what's going on in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, how are you? Okay. And I still, I don't think that that's the wrong way to be. But what happens when that becomes a habit, even if you're not intending to avoid your own story, you're just intending to yeah. give and give and give, you don't yep. release your own story. And it comes out sideways. Mm-hmm. And so the story group for me, you know, was really, really refreshing. It, it took me a, f- a while to actually say, okay, I'll tell my story this week or I'll st- tell a bit of my story. Yeah. And when I did and saw that, not only was everyone in the room not judging, mm-hmm. but they, they were quiet. They were listening. They weren't trying to, you know, uh, give input or solutions. And so, you know, I, I felt very much the same way you did, Israel. We both kind of came into this beautiful community of faith at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's right. correct. And, and being present was a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. When I was leaving the counseling program, that was the word they wrote on a rock for me. This is your word, Keith, for your life. This is going to be your journey, is learning to be present. Um, and as you guys were talking, three things I thought of. Brene Brown, the Grinch, and the Incarnation. So Brene Brown's video on uh, empathy versus sympathy. You know, some people get, you know, you don't, don't get too caught up in the defining those words. But the way she talks about empathy versus sympathy, um, we are trying to teach our church, our community, how to become empathetic listeners. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. 
it requires you to listen to someone. And if they are talking about something that is sad, it's not that you feel their sadness per se, but you feel your own sadness from your own story when they're talking about theirs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone could be talking about their loss and I've had loss in my life, maybe not the same way they have, but I start feeling it. And so that is really the kind of the sacrificial part of empathetic listening is that you are being forced in a way to feel, you know, you're, you're allowing yourself to feel whatever it is you're going to feel with that person, whatever's going to come up. And there's a bit of a, you know, you're kind of out of control Mm -hmm. in that sense. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're going to feel. Empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Um, So that video by Brene Brown is helpful just for people to look at. Um, There's a new Grinch movie out. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's a cartoon. And uh, I don't know if this is in the original one or not, but I'd never, never picked up on the line before. But uh, little Lucy Liu tells the Grinch, uh, this is after he has stolen Christmas and everything and tried to ruin everybody's Christmas. She comes up to the mountain to get him and tell him to invite him to Christmas dinner. And he says, why have you, why are you doing this? You know, why are you being so nice to me? And she says, you've been alone long enough. Mm-hmm. Now that'll mm-hmm. make me cry right now. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about it. What I sense so often in our culture, in our society, uh, what I see in scripture, even from the Genesis narrative, starting in chapter three, is that we have lived very lonely lives. That at the core, who has ever really taken the time to sit with us and really, really know us, you know? So, um, but sometimes we don't even know ourselves, yeah, right? Yeah. Because we say that, uh, yeah. you know, part of the Enneabuzz, we tell people that part of the Enneagram is for us to understand that each one of us has unmet needs yes. as children, mm-hmm. right? That's where the original wound happens. Mm-hmm. And at some point as adults, we start to ask what's missing inside of me. Yep. And so maybe part of the answer is what's missing inside of me mm-hmm. is that I don't know me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, that's why we go f- as far back as Socrates, right? Who said, know thyself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I just think it's, I love having had the opportunity to study, um, study the ancients when I was a young Christian I was really kind of um, kind of forced or hedged away from studying anything else but the scriptures Mm -hmm. you know but then having gone through philosophy and and such a simple thing like know thyself is so very important if we we don't even know that we don't know ourselves. Mm-hmm. We walk around in confusion. I, I think of, you're thinking of the Grinch. I'm thinking of Eleanor Rigby. Remember the old Beatles tune? All the lonely people. Oh, where yeah. do they all come from? Yep. You know, and if we're not willing to kind of take a look on the inside, I have an old friend who used to say, take a trip in mm-hmm. and, and do the work. I mean, we're always going to be looking for our um, significance mm-hmm. from somebody else or mm-hmm. things from things and people. And people are th- the most important gift 
in the world, but you can't define who you are mm-hmm. by another person, you know? So. Yeah. Well, we, and we don't necessarily talk about this at, when we do orientation, but one, one of the things that happens in the process, when somebody has the courage actually to share their story, um, oftentimes, and, and we tell them they can share something, you know, a painful story or a joyful story, just something, a story that, um, if we want to get to know them, this is an important story to know. Um, but often they do share painful stories. And for most of us, part of the pain of our story is that we felt so very alone in that moment. And so the, you know, the journey of somebody actually sharing their story without necessarily realizing it, part of what they're doing is taking us back in time to that moment. And we're now sitting in the den with them when their dad walked out of the family or we're sitting there, you know, at the baseball field when they struck out, you know, at the game or whatever the, whatever the event is. And, and they look around the room after they share and we're all still sitting there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nobody's gotten up and left. Nobody's offered a solution. We're just there sad with them. And as I was hearing you earlier talking about the weight coming off, you know, it's one thing to be sad and to feel, you know, your shame uh, by yourself. But if you don't have to carry your sadness alone or your shame alone, the shame dies. Mm-hmm. And the sadness is lifted, you know. So that's part of the beauty for us in story group and and what I would say what I was going to say earlier but just about the incarnation is all churches emphasize different you know aspects of the gospel or aspects of scripture and for us we've just zeroed in on that the presence of God with us how present is he you know does if we if our model is that we have to fix people for them to be in the presence of God you create a certain type of ministry but if your ministry is grounded in the incarnation, that God in flesh came and was with us, mm. you know, where we are, not where we're supposed to be, mm. that's a game changer. And, um, and that's what's been the most transformative in my life. Mm. The people that have been able to be with me wherever I was, um, that's been, you know, super impactful. What do you, what do you tell people that want to know this kind of work that you've been doing mm-hmm. um, because you know y- you are a pastor, mm-hmm. but in the context of story group, there's not talk of God. There's not mm-hmm. talk of churchianity. Yeah. Um, it's just dealing with emotions. So I have seen in the last two years that more and more people are interested yeah. in what you're doing. What do you hear from them? What, what is it that they're asking that they are looking for, for their group, their church, their community? Like you mean people who are reaching out, asking us about, you know, doing story groups at their church. And that's their correct. Community. Yeah. Because even people, when we've done story groups, they yeah. sit in yes, and that's they right. want to know what's going yeah. on. Whether it's someone who works for Campus Crusades for Christ sure. or they have a church down in Miami, yeah. they yeah. want to know, hey, what what's going on with you all? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of hard to explain sometimes for people. There is a bit of a learning curve. You know, people who have been in counseling or people who've been through recovery are a little more, you know, it's a little easier for them uh, because they at some level have already experienced, you know, their own brokenness in a way that they've seen 
being with it and like sitting with it, you know, that it actually led to something powerful or it led to something fruitful that they didn't have to run away from it. Um, but I think one of the things is that we are dealing with such a uh, transient culture. You know, one of my friends down in Fort Lauderdale said that he has a new church every two years. Um, and we are so disjointed. We're so disconnected. We are, as a culture, where, where I really zero in a lot of times is when students graduate and they go to college. To me, that's where you really see the individualism of, like, the epitome of individualism in America and kind of the Disney chase your dream and, you know, be whatever it is that you want to be. Um, come come into fruition. Whereas I go to Puerto Rico or other contexts and my friends still live at home and they're 35 years old and nobody cares, you know. <laughs> but here, if you did that, you're, you know, it's like you're a loser. But how has that, what's the price for that in our culture? And we we are so disconnected and, and, and we also talk about how time is money and nobody has time. And so one of the stories that I reference a lot is the one where Jesus says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And his disciples said, well, when, when was that ever, you know? And then he says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. And so Jesus is talking about the vulnerable people of society. And we live in a culture right now where we, in some ways, are watching every night on the news the vulnerable people of society acting out. I mean, it's a surprise now when you wake up in the morning and somebody hasn't been shot somewhere. It's a surprise. Mm. What, what is happening, you know? And so uh, we don't have time for each other. Nobody's stories are really being known, you know? Um, nobody is really uh, taking the time to be with people. So when I listen to Jesus tell that story today, um, I hear him saying, you know, you listen to me, you know, when no one else would. Um, and, and that I'm like, wow. You know, you listen to my stories. And many of us have orphaned mm -hmm. parts of ourselves. We've kind of left these parts of ourselves behind. And what we're inviting people to at Providencia is like, hey, let's go back and, and find that orphan and bring him home. You know, and, um, and he needs to be listened to mm -hmm. and heard. He has a story to tell. I've been thinking a lot about that, Keith, lately, um, the idea of a spiritual orphan, mm -hmm. you know, um, the idea of a spiritual prisoner. Mm -hmm. Jesus told us to go after them, to love them, to care for them, to listen to the prisoners and take care of them and the orphans. But as you're saying, there are so many people mm -hmm. in that category who are not behind bars, you know, and they're not without a biological mom and dad. They're just really alone or lonely or maybe with lots of people around them, mm -hmm. but still a very lonely heart. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to bring out in your sharing is um, what happens as we tell our stories. Um, how, how can we tell our stories to others and not be afraid of being ripped up or mocked or bullied or laughed at? Well, I'd love for you to respond to this, but one of the things that I, I would like to comment is that we need a safe space, mm -hmm. and that's what Story Group does, mm -hmm. right? 
Story Group helps create a safe place, a place where it's not a free-for-all. Even though there's not an agenda, mm-hmm. it's not a free-for-all. Um, there are, there are uh, I don't think I'd call them rules, but there are unspoken rules. Like, well, mm-hmm. sometimes they're spoken. Like, yep. what, what, what goes on in Story Group, what is said in Story Group does not leave. Yep. And uh, because, truth be told, any of us have a hard time just sharing um, the the wounds, the heartaches, and and our personal stories, um, <coughs> if we don't feel safe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it is a kind of funny dichotomy because here we are in this era of such intense social media, where everything's online. You know, people share every single thing, but are they really sharing their story? Mm-hmm. No, they're not sharing their heart, and. There's something about the combination between the heart and the and the ability to um, have someone listen that makes a really big difference. That's why when we were talking about the Enneagram, the Enneagram is a way to bring out that story and then to identify or understand that story, right? Because it's a scaffolding. It helps you to see where the building was either straight or crooked because we definitely have the pain. We definitely have our story. We definitely have our loneliness. Right. Uh, we definitely feel orphaned. And then the Enneagram comes about and you start to find out that, hey, you are a four. And uh, well, I, I shouldn't say you are a four because uh, as you say, <laughs> Keith, yeah. you are not your number. You are not your number. That's true. <coughs> but I identify with the four mm-hmm. and, and I understand why as a four. I understand right. my original wound. And so, therefore, it helps me to understand to be healthy, for example, I have to live in the present. I have to live in the now. And even though sometimes I feel like I'm having an existential crisis every day, it's not that big of a deal. Right. And, you know, um, that scaffolding metaphor that you used again today from last is so powerful because if you really think, like, we've got a lot of construction going on here in West Palm Beach Mm -hmm. and so much scaffolding around every building, and they've got to walk on the scaffolding right? To, to build it. They've got to walk on that yep. carefully. But in our own lives, if we never leave that scaffolding and enter into the house, enter into the truth of our heart, who can live on the scaffolding? That's not what it's meant for. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's meant for. And to me, that's part of the real core strength of the Enneagram is because it, it if we let it, it teaches us how to get off that scaffolding that we've built up in our life that's been necessary for the development, you know, developmental stages of our life, and get and get to live inside the house, right? Yep. Inside the house. Yep. And I think you know one of the things you guys were saying is using the enneagram as a tool, really to, in some ways, lead you to repentance, or lead you to health, and so. For me, I, I, I literally just came from a counseling session, you know, before I got here. That's what I was doing. And it doesn't matter what we talk about in counseling. At the end of the day, the, what we're talking about is Keith being present. Me continuing in this journey of learning to be present with myself, with others, and with my God. And it's, it's funny because my wife and I went on this trip to Barbados probably two years ago. And Barbados is beautiful. We went, you know, all over the place and had fun walking around and hiking and everything and exploring. But you would think as a seven that the greatest part was going out at night or something. But the highlight of the trip 
was we were back at the place where we were staying. We are airbnb at this place, and we got in an argument, and it was really about um, my wife letting me process something and just listening to me and just dealing with some of our dynamics there. And we actually fought through it, and we really connected. And she heard my pain. I was able to express my pain. She heard my pain. She held my pain. And afterwards, I said, we'd been collecting like mosaic tiles, like tiles that were washed up on shore and seashells and everything. And I was like, what if we make a little mosaic here on the floor? And we just sat there on the floor and made a mosaic out of seashells and tiles. That's like not what I typically do. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like fun to me. You know, I have, I exactly, I have such a hard time just sitting still. Yeah. 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 But my baseline need of being like heard and cared for in that way led me to a place of contentment. Sure. Which, yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, there's, we, if you look back into my story, part of my, part of my story is neglect in the sense of not being listened to, not being heard. And then I start, you know, a church where we emphasize listening to the infant, you know, to the highest degree. So, um, our wounds are important Mm -hmm. to understand Mm -hmm. and, and definitely the Enneagram Mm -hmm. has become one of many tools in understanding that. And when you are healthy, yeah. that's 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 exactly the place to be, right? Yep. Where you are deeply grateful, you are appreciative yep. for what you have. So at that moment, when you were doing the mosaic with your wife, oh, yeah. you were appreciative that you were there in the moment with her. Yep. You had walked through together in a painful situation, mm-hmm. and then you came on the other came out on the other side, doing something very special and unique. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's part of life that is a hard it's a hard thing to learn. Um and experience is the thing that teaches us, but mm-hmm. really um suffering and and pain and wounds are kind of like the pocket, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to our jacket of joy if you will. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like you cannot put that on and not have be in touch with. Mhm the often invisible pocket of pain yeah. and of sorrow. They're, they're part of each other. Yeah. They're par- I mean, Jesus taught us this with the cross, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's equally as much about resurrection as, as it is about his passion yeah. and brokenness. Yeah. Right. But to learn it on a personal level in our relationships is a powerful, powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And when we begin to embrace the learning and step out of our comfort zones, to more awake, aware places mm-hmm. that could say, you know, yeah, like let's do this mosaic and and actually enjoy it. Yep. Um, that is something that, that that no matter what number a person um, associates themselves with, that is a place of maturity. That is a place of conversion. That is a place of wholeness mm. happening. And more and more of the places in our life and the spaces in our life, the relationships in our life, as they begin to take on that kind of color mm-hmm. of being really present and really listened to and listening to the other. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is transformative. Yeah. That's transformative. And this is um, kind of my new kick right now that I'm on. But uh, this whole left brain, right brain thing. We've talked about it at Providencia in my own in my own story. I've talked about it often as you know, mind, heart, that 
in many ways for most of my life I lived in my head. <clears throat> but my journey through counseling has been to be connected to my heart and really live from my heart. And that's my core. And, um, you know, James K. Smith, the professor, I think he's at Calvin, um, he's the one who said it more poetically than me that, you know, we, we're not a brain on a stick. But that's what the Enlightenment told us. And we're essentially recovering from the last 500 years of believing that as our model for humanity, that really we're a lover. And that's what Augustine reminds us of, that what Paul, Jesus, the whole of Scripture reminds us of is that we're lovers. And so there's all this new um, literature coming out now about how we are recovering from a um, left-brain-dominated society where logic and reason were number one drivers. And really what needed to be the number one driver is the right brain. Because the right brain is where we learn to be present. The right brain is where we learn to be empathetic. Um, the right brain is where innovation, imagination, creativity is born. Um, and it's not that we don't need the left brain. Obviously, we need it. But we've the left brain has been so dominant that it has led us to such polarization and disconnection um, where we need empathy to bring us back together. So there's a lot of books that I'm now mm -hmm. skimming and you know, a lot of authors that I'm getting more connected with. Who do you like? Who do you, um, what do you, what's the one book that you would recommend for, for folks to um, read in this well, area? I think there's the, you know, I'll just mention authors. James K. Smith has written on liturgy and how um, our, our cultural liturgies have been driven by this, you know, reason and logic, the enlightenment. And <clears throat> this call back to this right brain experience is essentially what we do at Providencia. That's what we're doing through Story Group. It's what we're doing, you know, what we're trying to offer to the city is our presence. And so we're trying to help people be more connected to their hearts, more connected to their stories. Um, <clears throat> so Providencia would be another resource. But um, the um, Chuck DeGroat, his, uh, his work, Wholeheartedness, uh, David White, the poet. Um, there was, I was talking to my father-in-law today about a book and it's essentially Christian, like Christian spirituality and the right brain and their connection to each other. And I can give you the, I'll have to think the, uh, who the author is, um, later. I just was talking to him about it, but, um, the guy, the guy named Tom Nelson, who's the president of Made to Flourish. He is writing about this right now. And then Pete Scazzaro, we used his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this past year. And in that book, you see a guy who gets exposed to counseling. And then through counseling, he ends up doing what? He then gets connected to contemplative life. So now he's in counseling. He's growing this contemplative life. And so he's spending more time doing meditation. He's learning to be more and more present to himself, more present to God, more present to other people. So <clears throat> those are a few, you know, touch points. You know, um, James K.A. Smith, uh, I, I like him a lot too. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually reading a book by him now on, on break, like for fun reading. It's His latest book is called, uh, I believe it's called On the Road with St. Augustine. Mm. And um, I bet you'd enjoy that. I mean, it's just, he's just got such a great writing style, but he's saying such profound things. Mm -hmm. um, really good. Really, really good. Yeah. And I, I guess to bring it back to the Enneagram, if the Enneagram is a way to delve into understanding, 
understanding of who you are, understanding your wound, understand what motivates you, the choices that we make. We can't take out of that choice our environment, our surrounding, who who we who we hang out with, what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, if for example, if a seven is being unhealthy, you know, and they don't want to be in touch with their pain, yeah. Therefore, they will just it'll be a constant party. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a four, it's a constant looking ahead mm-hmm. and having an existential crisis, and and so it's understanding the highs and the lows too, right? It's, it's, it's being able to see, Stephanie, how, how you know, I'm being healthy or I'm being unhealthy. Right. It's yeah. awake and aware. It's coming awake to ourselves. You know, this whole woke movement the last few years is so important, but I say let's start with ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we need to be awake to ourselves. For me, the Christian life has done that for me. Yep. Help me, through the light of Christ, see, oh my gosh, see what, what's going on in here. Mm-hmm. The, the Enneagram, as we mentioned at the start of this, is a tool. It's not just a tool like it's not a, like it's a minimal tool. It's a great tool. It's yeah. an excellent tool to help you go deeper and go further. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I just think it's, it's, it's not just a fun little typing uh, system to find personality patterns, but to really, as you're saying, Israel, go deeper, take a look in, don't be afraid. Surround yourself with safe people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, don't be afraid to tell your story, and and move toward greater and greater levels of integration, of wholeness, mm-hmm. of flourishing. The more we have that sense of well-being and wholeness within ourselves, the more our relationships are apt to take on that wholeness. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, one of the things to, to, I'd love to hear from both of you guys about this, if we have a couple of minutes, but one of the things that, that I always have been flummoxed about and just over the, the, the decades of, of watching what happens in churches and among, uh, you know, good Christian people, um, is how come there can be such a disconnect between, well, the scriptures say this and we need to be this way. And, and, you know, all this like positive teaching about the Bible, but misery in the life, misery in the life, Mm -hmm. just lack of health and wholeness in their life, lack of health and wholeness. And I think sometimes because we're human, we can become numb numb to um, our own feelings, our own stuff. We can become blind. uh, and, 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 And so a new vocabulary like the Enneagram gives us kind of allows us to get mm-hmm. a, a fresh look at ourselves like oh my goodness you know and I don't think I don't I don't know I know a lot of people are becoming Christians throughout the globe Christianity is still rising but I don't think of many th- that there are many Christians in the United States that I've met that are willing to take that trip in so yeah. I don't know if you see that as an issue too and how the Enneagram can help, but that's what I'm getting at. Like the Enneagram isn't the be all end all, but it can sure help bring what we know to be true into reality. Well, I think one of the things that you're hitting on is what we've done with our pain is very important. You know, what we've done with our pain is very important. In fact, <clears throat> if you start kind of diving into, you know, sin and scripture, uh, often the outworkings of sin is what we've done with our pain. You know, so drunkenness, 
for example, or greed. You know, I, uh, is in, a, in the whole greed, you know, scenario, there was a moment where I needed and it wasn't there. You know, the need wasn't met. And these promises that we make, I will never be that vulnerable again. I'll never be in that situation again. So I will have an amass enough wealth that I won't need, that I can take care of myself. I won't be vulnerable like that ever again. And so you see <clears throat> the, what that person has done with their pain was very important. And we're actually teaching this class, um, myself and uh, Sarah Claire from, from church, and Brittany Melton is teaching it you know, from church. She, um, it's a class on lament in January here at PBA. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because it's such a huge piece of our, part of our faith. And, you know, people think that it takes more faith to believe in a miracle that will relieve your pain when the reality is that the gospel often requires a faith in, in, a, in something that actually doesn't relieve your pain, but is with you in it. And that's so different. Um, and and it, it's just, it's scarier, you know, because you're going to have to feel your pain. And then what's going to happen in that? Is it going to kill me? Um, and I've actually found a God who shows up in that pain in some ways more than anywhere else. You said it. You and, said it. And I think, you know, there's this saying in counseling, right? Hurt people. Hurt people. Hurt people. Yeah. Um, and there are so many people who are hurt, um, who've been hurt. And so their motivation is driven by fear mm-hmm. or anger. Um, and, and it's very tough to look introspectively and say, where, where am I lashing out at the world mm-hmm. in order to, um, express to others that pain, not in a healthy way, yep. but in a bad way. Yep. I want to lash out at yep. other folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and to me, you know, I see, especially since we are all around young people, Gen Zers, I see more and more Gen Zers coming in, telling stories and telling stories of pain. Mm. And maybe our generation, which we are in the, you know, uh, generation X generation that, uh, we just, we weren't taught to be able to talk about that. But this younger generation likes to talk about it. Have you seen that sort of disparity between the generations of who who is easier to talk to about their story and their pain and their and their journey? Yeah, I think one of the things is looking at generational questions that, you know, the different generations asks. And the the boomers, you know, they say they're asking the question of what is true and where our generation, generation X is what is real. And then generation um the millennials, the millennials, millennials yeah, they, their, their question is, um, what is good? And then the next generation will be what is beautiful. But for our generation, generation X, it was all about being real. And so there, at some point it, it kind of, my eyes were open to this reality, which is I could talk about some event in my life that was really painful and not be connected to the pain of it at all. So mm-hmm. being real was just. I could report information, but the journey of counseling for me was being actually connected to the story. So when I talk about, like I did on Sunday, my daughter, you know, being in the hospital and almost dying, 
it actually, I feel it. It's not just a speed bump. It's not just a good story. I feel the pain of it. I can remember it, you know, I'm connected to it. And for, for my generation, I think that was one of the pieces that we just didn't understand. To be in touch with your feelings. Yeah. And I think that it's becoming more and more uh, acceptable and more celebrated, Mm. you know, and people are realizing at some level it's a creative engine. You know, there's, um, that's where, I mean, innovation, like in in so many ways comes out of our pain, you know, art, art, creativity. It's like, um, because, and, and this is one of the things I try to help connect the dots for people is what's behind. It's, it's actually not the pain. It's what's behind the pain, which is the longing. That's the real engine. Mm. That's the real, that's the real soil. To be connected. Mm. Because we were meant to be in community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you have to go through the pain to experience the longing, to, to connect to the longing and to experience it. And that's right. a lot of messiness. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get in touch exactly. with messiness, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just messy. We yeah. want to, like, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, yep. just, you know, just yep. keep on going. Keep on going after that witch and that broom and doing that good duty and that good mm-hmm. stuff and you'll get what you need. Yep. No, but that man behind the curtain or that woman behind the curtain, that heart behind the curtain needs to be unveiled. Yeah, and this is, this is a phrase that I try to use sometimes is externalizing our internal world. You were talking about being woke, which obviously a lot of the work that's being done, you know, in our society is very important. But what scares me is when I meet people who are really involved and, you know, maybe in political protests or whatever, but they're not connected to understanding where is that coming from in my own story. Right. What's that about for me? Um, because then we're, we're kind of dangerous. We're just out. We, we, we can become wounders or we can become bullies or we can become the thing that we actually don't want. We're out there protesting against, you know? Yeah. And even if that doesn't happen, which that does happen, I hear you. But even if that doesn't happen, if we don't get in touch with our own feelings Mm -hmm. and walk through that messiness and start to own our feelings, how do we ever empathize mm-hmm. with anyone else? That's right. And if there's no empathy, isn't that where narcissism comes from? Mm-hmm. Like if, either, yep, part if of there's it. no empathy, how do we ever hope to have solid friendships and good marriages and good work relationships? How do we hope for that? Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. Our generations were saying, you know, feelings are um, in the background. Um, it, it, they're just a sign of weakness. Stuff them. Stuff them yep. because they won't get you anywhere. They will keep you down. You won't succeed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we're all learning and growing. I'm, I'm, yep, every day. Well, as we uh, as we start wrapping up uh, our second podcast, and we've d- really delved into this idea of story. What would you want people who are listening to walk away from? Uh, not just so much about the enneagram and how they can use the enneagram to do the work that you mm-hmm. were talking about, but in their own journey, if they, if they don't have a community like we have here yeah. and we are, you know, we're lucky to have this kind of community. Uh, and we've got an airport, an international airport, just five minutes down the road. Right. If they want to come, that's right. They can come here. West <laughs> Palm beach. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's go. Um, what do you tell people who are not in this area? How can they, how can they walk through what you've been walking through? I mean, I think it's, if you're still listening to this point after the intensity of, you know, diving (laughs) in here, it's, um, it's a scary journey, you know, um, for me, it, 
you know, counseling was a huge part of it. I, in some ways, I'm more opinionated about where people go to counseling than I am where they go to church. And part of that is I want you to be with a counselor who's going to hold your story well, who is uh, relational, um, that really is going to love you and care for you, not just give you a formula and try to fix you. But I would say, you know, finding a counselor that is in counseling and is connected and can be present with you is huge. And then finding communities. I mean, some people, it's AA. That's what they, you know, that's kind of the most accessible. Uh, some kind of recovery group. I mean, those are the places where people are taking the risk to be known and where, um, you know, they're seeing that we don't have to fix people here, that sobriety is not the cure for addiction. Connection is. And they're creating those spaces. And so we're, we're just trying to bring it into the church where it's, we believe it was for a long time and just kind of gotten away from it. So, but then come and visit us, come and hang out. You know, we really would love to host anybody that wanted to come hang out. We'll cook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's, that's, that's what I love about uh, Providencia is that uh, there's always uh, meals together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Events together. Yeah. Right. And, and gatherings. That's yep. right. Gatherings. Well, Keith, thank you so much. Keith Case, pastor at Providencia in West Palm Beach. And you can usually see him around town riding in a scooter. That's Definitely. Right. Man about town. <laughs> That's right. Keith, we love you. Love you guys. And we thank you for joining us on thank the Annie Thank you Bus. very much. Thanks for having and me. And what do you think? Uh, how do you want to wrap up uh, our second podcast? Uh, you know, I mean, we're delving into deep stuff here. Yeah, we are delving into deep stuff, and I'm happy about it. We need to. And you know what? If you liked this come back because there's going to be more of it if you didn't what can i say we say go in peace and bless you but we're going we're going for it here izzy aren't we we are and by the way you can catch us now on apple itunes please subscribe leave us a comment give us ratings listen if you like what you hear tell us if you don't tell us as well uh if you got some ideas about uh future podcasts that you would like uh, Dr. Stephanie Bennett to talk about later on in the season. We're going to talk about uh, different types of personalities. We definitely need to bring sevens back. Oh, yeah. Oh. Seven like a bunch of sevens. Yeah. Mm. Just That'll in the be room. a fun, fun party day. As yes. long as that intro music is playing, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the numbers. We'll talk about subtypes. We'll talk about wings. We will talk about relationships at work, relationships at home, relationships with friends, right? We're going to talk about it all. Yes. Right. And, uh, you know, it's we're coming up on a new year. Yeah. So at some point we need to have like a, a New Year's resolution enneagram style. Okay. Hey, like send that? them in. Okay, send in your in the comments. What is your New Year's resolution and what's your number? All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Right here on the Innibus. <laughs>